to the podcast of River City Community Church. For more information, please visit our website at www.rivercitychicago.com. When our backs were against the wall And it looked as if it was over You, you made our way And we're standing here Only because you made our way Amen, amen. Thank you to the worship team. Good morning, River City. You know, I think the normal instinct when you make a cultural blunder is to not bring attention to it or say anything about it. But for some reason, I've got the wrong instinct on this. So I'm laughing at myself on this. So I'm going to tell you one. Um, for those of you who are culturally literate, when the gentleman came up here and did that song, that special song to mothers, uh, the cultural literate of you knew who it was. It was who originally? Yes, boys and men. When I heard them rehearsing that the first time, I turned to Elder Keith and I said, oh, wow, are the four guys doing a barbershop quartet? Yeah, those of you who don't know what a barbershop is, baby, uh, he looked at me, he said, that is the whitest thing I've ever heard somebody say. So if you don't know what a barbershop quartet is, please, for your entertainment, look it up afterwards. Um, he said, A, I can't believe you didn't know those boys and men. B, that was the whitest thing I've ever heard somebody said. And C, if they hear you say barbershop quartet, I'll punch you for telling them that you said it. So I'm not listening very well to Elder Keith, so my apologies. So thank you guys for a boys and men reprise and not a barbershop quartet. Who knew that that's what they were doing? Well, it's good to be together on this day. Happy Mother's Day again to those of you who are mother, and we're thankful for our mothers, indeed, and the role they play. We're actually even thankful for all of our women. It's on days like this, I think, important to honor the fact that it's not always easy being a woman. As a man, I can say that with full authority, huh? That's a, a joke. It's a, but um, it, it is sobering to think that there's really not been a time in history where women have ever really been fully validated and equalized, where there's just kind of an always an uphill battle in almost every society, and despite the kind of pronouncement of scripture that females are made in God's image and are just as fully image bearers as anybody else, that's not always how society is ordered or structured, and so when these days come where we have a chance to more specifically honor and celebrate the incredible role you play and the value that you have intrinsically because of who you are in God, we honor you and thank you and celebrate you today. Um, I'm not going to be my normal long-winded self today. A couple of just thoughts on Mother's Day. Uh, I was uh, reflecting this week on, you know, whenever there's anything that kind of touches on parenting, there's certainly the space to kind of consider the human element of that, of how those who are parents play that role. But whenever we touch on anything, father or mother, it's really just an important reminder that ultimately we need to find that parental blessing, that parental word from God in our lives. And... um, Historically, in the church, the father side of God is emphasized, perhaps even overemphasized. Um, traditionally, at least in some traditions, the mother side of God is not as equally emphasized or underemphasized, or even in some traditions would be seen as somehow, I don't know, probably not heretical, but you know, some kind of somehow in danger zone, which is unfortunately, just, there's such strong imagery throughout scripture of God not only as mother but as father. And it's just important to always remember that gender, though it very much reflects who God is, God is not a gender. God is not a male. God is not a female. Gender is a reflection of God. The best, the height, the zenith of whatever we are is found in God corporately. And so I thought it might just be helpful for us to remember just to go through a few of the places in this series we're in. We're very much been emphasizing in the Matthew account, the blessing of of Jesus that happens through the Father, and that's important. But um, I'm going to just travel through a few passages that remind us of the blessing that comes from God, the Mother, as well. And so um, you don't have to you don't have to open up to these. I'm just going to go for four or five of these. But um, I'll start off in Deuteronomy. 
you know, in the Deuteronomy law, there's actually all these images of mother. I'll actually start, this actually happens um, quite often where you'll see the father and mother side of God in the same verse. So this is Deuteronomy 32, 18. And um, this is a really a bit of a prophetic challenge to the people, but it just shows the way that um, the Hebrew people would alternate between kind of talking of God as father and God as mother. So this is Deuteronomy 32, 18. God says, you deserted the rock who fathered you. There's the father imagery. You forgot the God who gave you birth. There's the mother imagery. And this happens a lot in the Deuteronomy um, account. Uh, you see um, God describes a mother eagle protecting her young. There's a number of mother images. Um, let's go to a few in Isaiah. Isaiah, uh, commentators often point to Isaiah as one who seemed to be just so deeply in touch with the full nature of God, deeply in touch in kind of how God would express God's self through the incarnation of Jesus. But the mother imagery comes up a lot in Isaiah. So here's, um, here's one where um, in Isaiah 42, 14, Isaiah, um, God's talking through Isaiah says this, For a long time I have kept silent. I have been quiet and held myself back. But now like a woman in childbirth, I cry out, I gasp, and I pant. And I think it's important we remember verses like this because when we talk too much of God as Father, it can often feel more difficult for you know, certain people to relate to that or understand that. And the reverse is true. When God compares the pain that God is feeling to that being like a woman in childbirth who's gasping and panting, and that's just something that intuitively guys don't really get. And if we say we get it, we should get smacked on the head for saying that, right? Uh, uh, um, God appeals to something that a mother understands, the, the pain of a woman in childbirth. Something probably only a woman who's given birth can understand. And this is some of how God describes God's own feelings of jealousy and desire to have us in relationship with God. We'll do a couple more from Isaiah. Here's the next one in Isaiah. In Isaiah 49, 15, this very tender imagery, God says, Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. Now, I just I just in the moment got the chills reading that. I mean it's a it's a it's a really just it's it's an incredible promise that's in there, and then this imagery of A mother, you know, when you watch a mother who's got a new baby that's nursing and the love that that mother has for her baby, the fierce protection that that mother feels towards her baby, that unwavering commitment that a mother has towards her baby, that sense of unconditional love, God says, to the best of a human ability, to the best of a mother's ability, that just begins to paint the picture of how much God loves us, of how much God holds us close to God's self how much God will never forget us. And even if a a human mother could forget, God never could. But uses this imagery, really, of a a newborn at the mother's breast that you really couldn't get that same imagery in any other way. Let's do one more from Isaiah. God says this, For this is what the Lord says, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the wealth of nations like a flooding stream. You will nurse and be carried on on her arm, and dandled on her knees. As a mother comforts her child, so I will comfort you, and you will be comforted over Jerusalem. And just again, just warm, tender imagery of a child who's distraught, who's scared, who's needing comfort, and God very, very openly, very clearly embracing this feminine energy, this, this motherly side, and says that this is how God relates to us, that as in the same way that a mother would comfort her child, God comes to us in times of our distress, comforts us, and um, is near us, touches us, holds us in that kind of a way. 
Uh, King David comes to God as mother imagery often too. We'll do one psalm. This is the whole psalm. It's a short one. It's just three verses. But Psalm 131, um, King David says this. He says, my heart is not proud, Lord. My eyes are not haughty. I do not concern myself with greater matters or things too wonderful for me. But I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child, I am content, Israel. But put your hope in the Lord, both now and forevermore. I'm embarrassed to admit, you know, you got to research all kinds of things when you're doing scriptures. I couldn't remember what weaned meant, so I had to look that up so that I could understand what David was getting at. No joke, but you can, you can laugh. That was like an embarrassed laugh for me. So I'm sorry, I didn't know what that meant. But um, uh, uh, it, it, is, it is really it's really significant, I think, what David is reflecting on as he thinks on this, that, that he's kind of acknowledging that in his kind of infant stages that God in the kind of mother way has nurtured him and grown him and protected him. And now he's like this weaned child. He's, he's not drinking that newborn milk anymore, but still is, is, is dependent on the energy of God, that motherly kind of response of God in his life. And um, I think it showed, you know, that, you know, he was agile in his ability to do this. We need to be agile in our ability to do this. There are times where David talks about God as kind of a strong rock. There's times that David talks about God as a father. And then there's these times where God, David talks of God as the mother. And it just, it invites us, I think, to experience God, to receive the love and comfort and nurture of God in different kinds of ways. And in the New Testament, it is not quite as common that the mother image comes up as it is in the Old Testament. But even in the New Testament, you get two different times where Jesus um, uses feminine language of himself. He says, like a mother hen, I've, I wish that I could hold my mother chicks to me, that I could pull them in with me. And um, I think it's probably pretty significant that though Jesus clearly is a man, when God incarnates, he comes as a man. Um, you know, the three persons of the Trinity is God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit. Um, in the New Testament, the Spirit is pneuma, say pneuma. That's a feminine word, and so um, the Spirit is a feminine word in the New Testament. And so when you think, we'll, we'll kind of come back at the end again to this blessing on Jesus that comes from both the Father and the Spirit. And so there seems something really significant about that, that there's this voice that comes from the Father saying, this is my son, my beloved, the one who I take pleasure in, but the one who brings it to bear, the one who makes it come alive in, in him is the Spirit, which has got kind of that more motherly kind of sense. So it's almost like this, this dual voice that's coming, a father's blessing and a mother's nurture to um, really establish that blessing inside of Jesus so that it really comes to life. And so that's just kind of the first of two thoughts. I just want to remind us that even as we celebrate women and celebrate mothers, that for all of us, um, God as mother, that's an important mode for us to be able to experience God in and receive God in. And for some, that's probably an encouragement, and that's good. For some, that it might even stretch you a little bit, and you know that might say something in and of itself, that, that there's a part of God that's hard to relate to, hard to receive from, but there's a real clear biblical precedent for that. So that's the first thought, just remembering that you know all of us have been raised by mothers who are less than perfect, because we're all less than perfect, so that's not a judgment on anybody, um, just in the same way that we need God the Father, we need God the Mother in our lives, and that's where our ultimate source of hope and strength and transformation comes from. Amen? Um, second thought, and I don't want to get too heavy on Mother's Day, so I won't go too deep into it, but we are in a series here at River City. We're calling it Wide Awake. And um, in this series, we've been looking at specifically 
kind of following Jesus in this day and age and addressing the system or construct of race that we all live under. And it might if you're just kind of joining us here on Mother's Day, that might seem like an odd thing to do a whole series on, but it's born out of his belief that God hates evil, that God hates sin, that God hates darkness, and is trying to rescue all of us from it, that God wants us to live in the light, to live his whole beings, um, and to kind of open our eyes. That's this kind of idea of being awake, this imagery of being awake, that God wants to open our eyes to the sins of the world, the kinds of things that if we're conformed to the world could really break us, really, and that we need to be transformed, have a different way of seeing, a different way of interacting. And kind of think of the imagery in um, Genesis 4 when, when God's warning came. He says, sin is out there. It's crouching at the door, right? And so um, one of the strong convictions we have here is that there's a system of race. It's not God-ordained. It's not what God created. There's really nothing good about it, this system we created. It's really a system of evil. What makes the system of race in our country so evil, there's a lot of things that make it evil in a lot of ways that expresses itself that are dangerous. But what we're kind of continually exploring through this series is this idea of a term that Brian Stevenson has popularized called the narrative of racial difference. In this narrative of racial difference, this is a way to describe the sin that we're all surrounded by. The narrative of racial difference doesn't just recognize differences. That's actually a good thing to do. That's an important counterpoint. We have to remember differences are good. Differences can be very beautiful and wonderful. Revelation 7 says that when we're all together in heaven singing to God, that the differences of, that reflect God will be on full display. We'll hear different languages, we'll see different customs, we'll see different skin tones. Um, differences are a wonderful thing, can be a very beautiful thing. The problem is not that we recognize differences. In our, the history of our country, we've assigned human value to those differences. And that's something we just have to keep coming back to, remembering over and over again, that even if that's not something at a personal level you subscribe to, in fact, we would never want somebody to subscribe to that, that it doesn't change the fact that it's in the air we breathe that it's coded into the institutions that we are formed by, that it's, it's in every billboard that we see, every commercial we hear, every television show. There are, these, there are these images, there are these messages, sometimes very overt, sometimes very subtle, but there are these messages that reinforce this historic narrative that says some people are closer to fully human, some people are less than, and all of us, no matter where we fall on the spectrum, all of us get screwed up by that message, um, by that narrative of racial difference. And we're going deep into it in the series. I'm not going to try to go deep into it today. I just felt it would be necessary to mention a little bit today because you can't at any level address parenting or, um, and I want to speak to those two who aren't parents of children but are part of the larger village forming children. You can't, you can't talk about parenting at all without having to wrestle pretty quickly with this idea of the narrative of racial difference and the contest that it's in between this blessing we just looked at, the blessing of the mother voice, the blessing of the father voice, the doctrine of the Imago Dei is how we've been talking a lot of this series. The doctrine of the Imago Dei says every human being is created in God's image. Every human being carries deep, intrinsic, eternal value because they're created in God's image. That we never meet a human being, no matter what situation of life they're in, no matter where they grew up, no matter what kind of experiences they've had, we've never met a human being that's not absolutely precious. We read that verse that God saying is a mother could never forget her newborn, so God could never forget us. There's not a person alive that's not treasure to God, right? And so um, I, I think as much as I want to do on this, I just want to say a brief word. A um, bunch of you in here are parents. A bunch of you in here are not parents. I want to say something to kind of both because it's really the same message, just slightly nuanced for both. For those who are parents, and some of you already do this, but just to kind of underline the importance of this, um, I think it is one of the critical parenting functions for anybody who ends up having a kid or a grandchild to help them negotiate this battle between the doctrine of the Imago Dei 
and the narrative of racial difference. I think it's something every parent has got to be figuring out how to talk to their children about. Right now, a lot of groups who've already experienced marginalization, this is a survival tactic that you've already done, right? I mean, I've had so many families that I've heard where they set their kids down from pretty young to have some version of the talk, right? Where, and we don't always use it. It's not always being used, Imago Day and Air of Racial Difference, but it's got that tone to it. So the talk goes something like this. You know, son, daughter, I want you to know you're loved, you're valuable, you're beautiful. God has created you in God's image. God has... God has spoken a blessing over you that can never, should never be challenged. But the reality is that's not always how other people think. And there will be situations you go into where you might be seen different than this beautiful, wonderful child that God has created you to be. It is possible. We hope it doesn't happen often, but it's possible you'll experience a teacher who expects less of you because of how you look. It's possible that you'll apply for a job and be seen as less than because of how you look or your name or some kind of feature or some kind of way that they classify you. It's possible that if you get pulled over by a police officer, they're going to be more aggressive with you. Your life will be more at risk because of how you look. Right? Some have already had this, and that's part of it, and I want to affirm that. But I'm realizing even as a white family, it is really important I have that talk with my kids too. Right? Now, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to say that that the danger level is the same in terms of the immediate, you know, I realize that when Xander starts driving, if he gets pulled over for a police officer, for many, he's going to be seen differently as a white person. But nonetheless, this idea of the Imago Dei versus the nerve of racial difference, at seven years old, this is something I'm already talking to Xander about a lot. Of course, I have to say it a little bit different than I'm saying it from up here. But, you know, what I'm saying to him is the same thing. Imago Dei is the starting point for all of us, right? This is who you are. You are created in God's image. You're valuable, you're lovely, you're wonderful because of who you are in God. And then adding to that second part, but when you go out of this place, when you go into the world, you will experience environments where people say something different than that. There, there will be environments in which there will be a more than and a less than that is communicated, sometimes very openly, because kids can be cruel, or adults can be cruel, um, sometimes very subtly, but you've got to become aware of that. You've got to become alert to that. You've got to be awake to that. You've got to be awake. As a person of young faith, you've got to be awake to that. And, you, and, and I'm saying it more straightforward than I say to him, but teach him that this is some of what the Holy Spirit does. This is what it means to, some of what it means to walk in step with the Holy Spirit, is to be alert and awake to that which is happening in society. And then ultimately for him and Gabby to train them to be able to as best they can get free of the distortions in their own sense of identity that have formed because of that, but then to recognize the way it's playing out around them and to step into that and to combat that, to challenge it, to participate with the kingdom dismantling of that. And, you know, while I don't feel like I can nuance it as much as I'd like to for each one of you who have kids, I would say at a broad level, this is something every parent should be encouraging in their children to constantly affirm the Imago Dei that's in them to constantly augment the blessing that comes from that mother side of God or from that father side of God, we must be reminded of that over and over and over that at the most core level, we are the beloved of God. And even if you do get it for a minute, the minute you walk out, it starts to leak again, right? We all experience that even in our own lives, right? It's like hard to hang on to that. And so there's something so important about continue to affirm that strength and that in young ones. And then I don't want to make this um, just a parenting thing because I, we really mean it. When we say we, we subscribe to that proverb that it takes a village to raise a child, uh, every year I become more and more convinced of that. Um, uh, and when you watch children, at each age they're growing up, 
um, even though parents obviously play some kind of a foundational role in helping children navigate the world, it's particularly the, the, the adults that are kind of the larger support system that kids really measure themselves against. Right? When, when kids say, what am I going to be like when I grow up, they almost never base it off of their own parents. They base it off of the adults that they're seeing in this adult support system. They say, what is that person like? And what, which parts of that is kind of like me? Right? And the words that the adult support system plays in the lives of young people is so, so formative, so influential. And um, I could just tell you, I think even if we all went back into our own stories and went back, we would think of certain adult people who've said something that really kind of deposited a big piece of how we understood who we were at that time, how we imagined who we'd be in the future. And so um, I really think it is, it's this collaborative effort. Um, it's one of the reasons we try to be intentional kind of as we, uh, a lot of you are involved in Kid City and serving in there. And in the kind of latest iteration over the last couple of years, we've tried to be much more mindful to have a lot of the people who are driving the upfront stuff be single adults who are playing a very different role in the lives of the young ones than the actual parents of those adults are. And I love that most of the most of the ones that our kids hear from are single adults. And it's not trying to say one's better than the other. It's trying to say we all play this really unique role. And so what's true for all of us, and and I'm going to kind of move towards the end here. In fact, um, if you don't mind bringing up that Matthew 3 passage, um, that would be great. I'm going to come back and just reflect on this one one more time here on Mother's Day and as a way to kind of um, finish up um, this part of the series that we're on. So in this series, we're consistently coming back to these words that Jesus himself experienced as part of the affirmation of who he was as a human being. Um, If you're kind of just joining us in on the series, we've emphasized over and over again that not only these words significant, but this happened at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, not at the end. If it would have happened at the end, it still would have been special, but it would have left open the possibility that it was a performance thing, that he did what he was supposed to do and therefore was affirmed. But this happened before Jesus ever performs a miracle, before Jesus ever heals somebody, before Jesus ever teaches anything. There's this deep sense of affirmation of who he is at the core. And in Matthew's account, it says this, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a voice, descending like a dove, alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And at the most basic level, where we're all the same in this, is that we have all got to be parented and reparented over and over and over again by God. We need to continuously seek the same type of environments where we can hear that, because the words are true no matter what. We don't have to go find these words. What we have to find is ways to put ourselves in positions where we can do what Jesus is doing, where we can listen to these words, where heaven is open. You remember Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, right? The, the glory of heaven, the presence of God in heaven, it's, it's intended to be open to us. This is God's desire for us. And then we see this kind of combination of the mother energy and the father energy. We see the spirit come first and the pneuma of God descending like a dove, that mother voice coming onto Jesus, alighting on him. And then the voice from heaven of the Father saying, this is my son. This is the core blessing. This is my beloved. King James says, this is my son, the beloved. The ones with whom God is pleased with, that God takes pleasure with. We must all come back to this place time and time again 
and listen for these words, internalize these words, open ourselves to these words. And then without oversimplifying the very significant problem of race in our society, this really is the, this is, this is the starting point of how we push back against it. We affirm the humanity, the personhood, the dignity, the belovedness, the pleasure that God has in each person, and we combat anything that would call that into question, that would try to reorder the way that we think of human worth. And so I just, one of the reasons I just keep coming back to this in this series is you just can't do this too much. You can't come back to it too much in your own life, and you can't affirm in others too much. Like, there isn't such thing as too much. There's definitely a thing of not enough. There's definitely not a, there's definitely not a too much. As often as we can be doing this, coming back to this, sitting under that parental blessing of God the Father and God the Mother, and then affirming that in each other. And especially, we have always had an emphasis here of, on, on, Jesus said, let the young ones come to me, come unto me. We want this to be a place where children, where teens are coming to God and where whatever damaging voices they've heard out there, they hear a different narrative in here where they're affirmed and loved and their personhood and their dignity and their value and their treasuredness in God is not just... Um, um, in a vague kind of a way affirmed, but it's named, it's called out. People are seen and affirmed. And we are doing the work of the church when we do that. We are doing the work of the church. You are doing the core thing. When you put yourself in that position to listen to the blessing of the Father and Mother of God who speaks those words into you, and when you speak that into others, we are doing the core work of the church. So on this Mother's Day, just want us to remember that, that that we honor mothers and they play a specific role, but we all are part of that role. We are all part of that, affirming that in each other and all need that from each other. And so we're going to end, and it just felt like a very sweet place where we ended last week. This is, this is a song about the Holy Spirit, about inviting the Holy Spirit into our midst, about delighting in the presence of the Holy Spirit, kind of thinking of what we've talked about today. I just hope that um, this could be a, a, a meaningful way for you to just kind of end this time together on Sunday is just reflecting on the words of this worship song of, of, of trusting the Spirit already is here, but lining yourself up with that of saying, I want to be in the presence of the Spirit. I want to delight in that. I want to be delighted in that and just calling upon our own hearts, souls, and minds to do that. So um, let's, let's stand together as, um, as we invite the Spirit to move in this place. There's nothing worth more that could ever come close. Nothing can compare. You're our living hope. Your presence, Lord. I've tasted and seen of the sweetest of loves when my heart becomes free and my shame is undone only in your Be
everybody in this place, we surrender now and say, Holy Spirit.
celebrating black history, also recognizing heart health awareness. Father, we give you the glory. We give you the honor. And we give you the praise. We thank you for those who stood years ago and created a future for us. We thank you even for those who are bringing wisdom to the church that we may live a long, healthy life. We also thank you for Bishop Eddie L. Long and what he's brought to this earth and brought to this region and brought to this church. We thank you for the memorial. We thank you for recognizing the blood drive that was instituted in order to save lives. We also recognize the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanses us from our past gives us a great future. So Father, we bless you in this great house where you're acknowledged and your name is lifted above every name. And we give you the glory, we give you the honor, and we give you the praise. Come on, put your hands together and lift up your voice and give the Lord the praise in this great house. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God is good and he's good all the time and I always enjoy moments of worship. And it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about him. We never want to rush the presence of the Lord because we don't know whose lives are being saved even right now. Something's changing. Something's changing in the hearts of God's people, both spiritually and physically, right now. So whatever I have to do later is on hold. I know what to do now. Hallelujah. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continuously be in my mouth. Hallelujah. There's glory in this house. There is glory in this house. 